Carnivorous cows, shit happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous cows with Brady and Rob. Hi everybody, hi everybody, hi everybody, and welcome to Carnivorous Couch, the echoey podcast where I can hear myself echoing in my headphones. Yeah, you sound kind of soothing, like fresh air, almost yeah, fresh air. Yeah, both do, because there's a little latency and stuff like hey, that. Hey, everyone at the top of the hour. But it won't sound like this on the recording. Um, That's too bad. Anyway, I'm going to take these off so I can not hear myself doing this. Okay, everything's impossible to do, but we did it. And <laughs> we managed. just started, but yeah, I mean, we did it. We've oh, managed to. <laughs> we've managed to uh, record uh, to get to the point where we're recording, and okay. things are going okay. Well, you know, we're we're getting older. Just getting up, it's just harder. Is this what we, what movie did we do this week, Brady? Oh, uh, we did David Fincher's Seven. From what year? Oh, I'm sorry. From 1995. The year of uh, Braveheart and Babe, and uh, yeah, I recommend uh, watch Babe and watch Seven. <laughs> this echo actually is throwing me off. Yeah, they're they're often both. You know, they go hand in hand. Babe okay, and, it's and fine. Seven, I, yeah. I know I'm there. Yeah, no, no, that's okay. I'm just. It's good to use for me to monitor whether or not we're coming through okay. But yeah, I'll fix it later. Okay, I'll fix it later. I'll, we're recording. That's what's important. Uh, so yeah. yeah, David Fincher's Babe. Uh, okay, so plot synopsis, right? That's how we start. Plot synopsis. Plot. Do it's you want to do year. it? It's been a year since we've done this. So it's been know. a year. Uh, I wrote down some stuff. Maybe I can do it. My head's starting to hurt. Okay. Um, let me see. Uh, Brad Pitt uh, becomes Sad Pitt by the end. That yeah, and point. Mad Pitt. And Mad Pitt, yeah. But he's never Glad Pitt. No. Okay, so uh, these are just comedic notes. I'm not going to say them yet. Um, there's this guy who's a detective played by Morgan Freeman, who was always old. Um, yeah. And he is, uh, he's going to retire and uh, train Detective Mills. Who is Brad Pitt? And when he does so, uh, he's going to, um, you know, do some stuff. Yeah, he's going to get away, go live in solitude, because he's kind of burned out on the life of a detective in uh, an anonymous city that uh, is supposed to be just the worst city in the world. And now, a uh, little show note here. I read up. I read up on this. It apparently was inspired by the writer's time in New York City. No surprise. But actually was shot in Los Angeles. Well, yeah, you typically just shoot stuff in L.A. because it's too much of a pain in the ass to go shoot on location, right? Right, and toward the end when they go off for their drive, they're so obviously on the five somewhere right. and butt spank nowhere. Okay, yeah, so anyway, he's going to retire and go live on a farm somewhere and they get this one last case. And the last case happens to be a doozy. And uh, Morgan Freeman's character, Detective Somerset, does not want to take it. Uh, and uh, Brad Pitt's character, Detective David Mills? David Mills. Uh, does want to take it, but he's like, you can't give this to him. That's going to be, this can't be his first go. So, um, 
So they give Mills a second murder that's going on in town and tell Somerset, sorry, you're going to have to take this this one that you say is going to be too crazy. And what is that first case? Uh, there's a guy who found, who was found, you'd say. Okay, so they find a guy, man, this movie is so skin-crawlingly disgusting. Uh, they find an obese man with his hands and feet bound, face down, not breathing because he's dead, in a plate of spaghetti. Uh, and what they learn is he's been forced to eat until his stomach exploded. That's right. And, you know, before we continue any further, I'm going to go ahead and say, Hey, Google, make the lights orange. Because they're far too bright and it was bothering me. That's way better. And I'm going to say, trigger warning, everything in 7 is terrible. Everything that happens in 7, you mean? Yes. Yeah. No, not. Uh, we'll, we'll get to how we think the movie's made. Now, every everything that happens to a person in Seven is just the worst thing, the worst. Yeah, it's quite right. Uh, where are we in the plot synopsis? Okay, so that's the first case, and so yeah, Somerset, uh, Morgan Freeman's character says, you know, this can't be my last case, and it can't be his first. So they stick uh, Brad Pitt's character on the next case, which is. A dead district attorney. The district attorney has been found dead in his office. Uh, he has bled to death. There is a gaping wound in his side. And what they see is that he has been forced to cut away a pound of his own flesh. And uh, in doing so, you know, he was trying to cut his flesh and survive. But he didn't. He bled to death by cutting off his love handles. Yes. So that's gruesome. That's right. What happens after that? Okay, the next case... Oh, well, what happens after that? Well, we kind of spend time getting to know the detectives. They have kind of an uneasy rapport, and, you know, they weren't even expecting to be together oh, that, at first. that's right. Uh, What's-his-face goes over for dinner. Yeah, so, so some played by Gwyneth Paltrow, who I think you pointed out was probably Brad Pitt's real-life wife Pitt at the time. wife at the time, yeah. Yeah, probably part of the appeal, which is weird given where it all ends up. Pitt, Paltrow. One of them is dead. (laughs) Uh, Pit, Paltrow, head in a box. So he gets invited over for dinner. By the way, it's been a year, but this is a spoiler-full podcast. Absolutely. Uh, Spoiler alert, many dead. At least seven. Uh, So, uh, so, what happens is, there's, you know, it's a nice scene, uh, because this is an unrelentingly bleak, fetid... Uh, muddy, bloody, fluid-soaked movie. But they have a nice dinner, and they get to know each other, and they're talking. Even though, even at this nice dinner, the evening ends with Freeman and Pitt discussing an awful murder. You know, they can't quite help themselves from still discussing their work, bringing their work home with them. So anyway, what happens next is they go to interview the dead district attorney's wife, and they're trying to get her... So, you know, I'd say like, all right, is there anything unusual about his office? We're looking for clues. And she's hysterical. Uh, and I like how they cover the uh, the actual body with the post-it note. That's a nice touch. So it's just like, we just want you to look at the office. We don't want you to see your husband's corpse. But oh, right, right, will you right, right. just... And what she eventually realizes is one of his paintings is upside down. So they go back to the scene and in taking the painting off the wall, they find fingerprints. And they're like, aha. They think they've got their guy because the fingerprints have written help me on the back of this wall. 
And instead, what happens is the fingerprints lead them to their next victim uh, because his hand has been cut off to make these prints. This is Victor, a drug-dealing pedophile, uh, and they find him in the most disgusting scene probably in a movie full of disgusting scenes uh, tied to his bed. He's been there a year. He's basically a, an almost dead, wasted away corpse. Yeah, it's the, it's the most difficult one where you're just like, oh, shit. Yeah, he's bad. He looks bad. He's got to get to the gym. You look so good there, partner. Yeah, get... <laughs> um, and, and the room is full of air fresheners to mask the scent. And... So they find him, and he's almost dead. They take him to the hospital, and, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, they think he's dead, and then I think one of the cops goes up to whisper in his ear and say, you got what you deserve, because the guy wasn't a very right. good guy. And he comes to, he's like, <laughs> he's like, oh, shit, this isn't good. Yeah. It's <laughs> so, so basically, he dies in the hospital. Uh, I don't think he actually dies. His brain is just mush because he's so... He's going to die, though. Yeah, there's no electrolytes in his system or, you know. And he's chewed off his tongue. Right. He can't talk anyway. So, yeah, that's what was going on with that guy. Um, so that's number see. three? Yeah. I, I mean, I have all these notes here, but I just don't know where we are. Cause you've okay, no, I, I know where we are. So number four, they find kind of at this, like, sex dungeon, this seedy porn palace where people kind of go underground and have, have you know, leather-bound sex, which is cool if it's what you're into. Uh, and they find a man has been forced to wear basically like a leather knife penis. Is, it, is this before or after they have their encounter with... Oh, you're right. Sorry. Yeah. First they have the encounter... So they, they cross-reference his... Uh, uh, they get an FBI person to cross-reference the books that he must have had to have read... And then, like, who this might be, and they come up with a hit, so they go show up at his apartment, and he tries to shoot him, uh, Brad Pitt, and uh, there's a, a pretty good foot chase scene. Oh, yeah. And then uh, he eventually gets away and does not kill Brad Pitt, even though he totally has the option. Right. Yeah. Okay, so then then we go to Sex Dungeon, and yeah, a, a man they find crying at the scene, and he's been forced to have sex with a prostitute with a knife attached to his penis until she died. Right. And so that's number four. Uh, number five is a model who has been... Uh, oh, wait. She well, gets cut up. Yeah, they cut he, off her nose and they cut up her face and they say, okay, you can dial for help. Or you can kill yourself with pills. Right. And she chooses to die because her livelihood is fucked. Yes, theoretically, either that or she was just in a lot of pain and tried to take a couple pills, and then it just didn't work out. Oh, uh, maybe. <laughs> they don't mention that part, but... You know. I mean, yeah, I'm just taking the killer's word for it. Yeah, right? Maybe it's like, yeah, this is a little bit much to go through. Uh, so, at any rate, um, then what happens? Uh, oh, yeah, then the killer walks in the police station, surrenders himself, and... Uh, they found out that the whole reason they couldn't find any fingerprints because it cut, cuts off his fingers prints. Mm -hmm. <laughs> his fingers prints. Um, and then uh, after that, he says, okay, I'll show you where the last victims are. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Full confession. But you have to drive us. Yeah, on the condition that you drive me out to, like, the middle of Bakersfield, it looks like. or It, it looks like Ask, Ask California. Yeah. 
At any rate, so they do that. Uh, they go out there. Turns out the last two victims are him and, and Brad Pitt, who has been driven insane. Well, no, him and his wife. Yeah, that, well, that's the thing, and I forgot this. The wife isn't actually considered... Oh, no, yeah, she is, because he... Well, is that's the en- weird... Is it Envy? Yeah, that's the weird thing. Well, no, yeah, because it's supposed to be like you get killed for the sin. So the wife doesn't actually have a sin. It's that Kevin Spacey is admitting he envied Brad Pitt's normalcy, like his normal domestic life. Right. And so he's going to die because he killed his wife out of envy. And then Brad Pitt's going to be the last victim who theoretically uh, kills himself out of wrath. Well, he's that's the thing. He kills Spacey. And so I guess it's like Spacey dies out of envy. Yeah, and then and then he'll die or just be insane. That's out the of, thing out of anger. I'm wondering, like, and even as an attorney, I don't have the answer right on the top of my head for this. I don't feel like I don't think Pitt's getting the death penalty for this one. Oh no, I don't think he's getting the death penalty either. But I think he dies probably of suicide later in life because of the whole thing that he says to him. And, and in the car, he says to him, "I let you live. Anything that you get to have, you know." And he gets very angry about that. Oh, so you think he'll become suicidal from the trauma, or, or just from the anger? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, yeah, and then it ends with that Freeman quote. Uh, well, first uh, Freeman says, give him whatever he needs. Just kind of knowing that he's, oh, like, yeah. he's screwed. Oh, and also importantly, he's not going to walk away from the life now. He was going to get gone, but now, like, well, what's up? He's like, I'll be around. Oh, okay. I thought he was just going to be kind of like in the wings, like as a consultant. Maybe, but I think it's an acknowledgement that, like, I, want, I wanted to quit this. Shit, I can't quit this. Right. Like, I'm, I'm sucked into all this shit, and I hate it, but, like, Well, I'm whenever here. you try to bring in a new kid, he, you know, that some murderer, like, fucks with him to the point where he's near catatonically insane. Right. Yeah. Which I think we, we can get into. I think that's, like, one of the big themes, I guess. So, anyway, that's plot synopsis. We did pretty good in 14 minutes. I'm feeling a little less terrible about having Ooh, wait. trouble. Ending quote. Can we say the yeah, ending yeah, quote? quote. Uh, Ernest Hemingway right. once wrote that the world is a fine place and worth defending. I agree with the second he part. He agrees with the second part. But the first part was something Ernest Hemingway wrote that he doesn't necessarily agree with. The wor- so in other words, the world is not a fine place and worth defending. Right, exactly. All righty. Uh, what's the next thing we do? What's it all about? Yeah. Yeah, okay. What's it all about? Oh, wait, no, no. We do Hey, Hey, Hey. How do you like it? Oh, yeah. Hey, hey. Oh, wait. I think I have a... I think we still have a drop for that. We haven't played it in a long time, but... Uh, all right. Let's uh, brush the dust off of it. Hey, 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 how do we like it? <coughs> oh, that's dusty. That's dusty. Yeah, quite dusty. And my eyes are itchy just because of pollen. At any rate, um, how'd you like it, Brady? I like this movie a lot. It's it's really good. Um, yeah. You know, and obviously we'll get into the themes in a bit. But yeah, I, I want to say that I like, well, I'll say this. I think this is a very influential movie. I think the, for better or worse, the procedural land that we've been living in pretty much since the aughts uh, is very much seven land. It's it like the style of your CSIs is totally influenced by, and the sudden willingness to just like look at very graphic killings. Yeah. Totally influenced by this, which is weird because 
it's weird that we've become blasé about it. And at the same time, I feel like seven would be like, see, like now you guys will just look at like a chopped up hooker, like while you're eating your Taco Bell with your family. And it's like, that's not the point I was trying to make. I was trying to make the point that this is fucked up. Yeah. You know, but, but it's interesting. I I think this visual aesthetic of seven is the most influential uh, movie on the way procedurals are right now. Yeah, I mean, I I uh, I really liked the kind of post noir uh, sort of uh, what do you call that kind of lighting? The chiaroscuro lighting, like yeah, where it's uneven and you know you'll shadow yeah. one side of the face. Right. Yeah. Uh, that was a lot of that. The lighting was obviously you know done to have like heavy shadows. Um, you know, there was a lot of uh, camera angles of either. It was very close up on them and back and forth with like very wide shots of them, which, you know, shows the isolation. There's a lot of rain. Uh, There wasn't any voiceover, really. Uh, A little um, bit like Freeman at the end. Yeah, it's usually Freeman talking to somebody else while it's cross cutting to something like there's that whole opening scene at the beginning where Freeman goes to read in the library and he goes home uh, to hang out with his wife and just kind of get frustrated over the case. Right. Right. And then he, Freeman kind of taunts him. Well, he's not trying to taunt him. Brad Pitt's character feels taunted because he receives uh, some Xerox copies from uh, Canterbury Tales and other things that have to do with Seven Deadly Sins and as well as an envelope full of Cliff's Notes. <laughs> right. <laughs> because he hasn't read shit and because he's not cultured and it's one of the things that Morgan, uh, Morgan Freeman, uh, Detective Somerset's, uh, you know, pet peeves about the world. You got all this knowledge, and here you are playing poker. Yeah, what culture? How about this for culture? No, it's not that one. No, it plays. Right. But but anyway, so. It's a T. So yeah. No, I I have no idea. I'm not cultured. I spent. I consider culture watching movies like Seven. Uh, I almost did a, a David Mitchell. Sure, I'm intelligent. I watch Seven on TBS. Beep show. Um, so, uh, but no, okay. So, how did I like it? I like it a lot. Um, it's a, it is a very long movie, but it feels tight. It's not actually that long. It's like it's two hours, that, eleven it's minutes. It's two hours plus. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. I, it, th- but it is. It is. Um, it is dense. Yeah. It's got marvelous style, which I think is very in keeping with its themes, and we'll get to that. Uh, but, you know, always uh, admire a movie that can back up visually what it's talking about ideologically. Uh, for a movie as gory as it is, uh, and as terrible as what it's showing is, it is relentlessly gripping and entertaining, which is certainly uh, something. And, yeah, no, and I think it's an intelligent an intelligent story. It's It's a very dark intelligent story uh so yeah no i it's a great movie i'm gonna go a minus nice i think we can go with that it sounds pretty pretty good how about Uh, you i also think it's i mean it's an a but i'm gonna go with a minus because i mean it's my first time seeing it so you can obviously come to a grade a lot quicker than i can no yeah well here's the thing full disclosure um i am a little spacey today uh i could have gotten more sleep and the thing is like I knew that watching it. So like I've had the experience of watching this in the perfect context and it plays marvelously. And I still really liked it in my current slightly 
fragmented headspace. Uh, I think it's a cohesive film, and uh, yeah, even watching it a little tired, it was pretty fantastic. Yeah, I'm plenty sleepy, but uh, not as sleepy as I will be tomorrow. And the day after that, you're like Morgan Freeman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to get more tired. <laughs> well, I have to um, work a graveyard tonight. That's why I'm all stressed out and maybe not doing my best podcasting because getting the movie to work was a pain. And then we were sent away because recording, uh, we no longer have Carnivorous Studios. That room has been taken up by the baby. Oh, so, so we're in. What the, do we call this studio? <laughs> we're in my room now. <laughs> Uh, the couch is still carnivorous. It's just that we don't get to sit on it when we're podcasting. We can sit on it to watch a movie as long as the baby's not napping. But anyway, yeah, was a, I lost my studio so that it could be a baby room that's never used. And um, we tried to watch the movie over here, but we got banished to next door because the baby was napping. And then I'm going to have to go to sleep in an hour, and uh, the baby's going to jump on the ceiling above my head and I won't get any sleep and then I'll go work a graveyard and I'll just be tired tomorrow and then tireder the day after that and the day after I'm just a low country bumpkin <laughs> <laughs> and what you're saying is you liked it <laughs> so anyway um, yeah uh, that to give some context to my obviously not great t- my eyes fucking itch dude this is annoying um, anyway yeah, no, I did like this movie. It was very... I can't read. I took off my glasses so that I could rub my eyes, but I can't see my notes. Rob is world-weary. <laughs> I am. And I'm brimming with optimism, but I'm going to get put in my place. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's really good. It was really good. Um, it is a depressing movie, and... Yeah, that's pretty good for how I feel right now, which is depressed. Perfect. So, yeah. Um, feel bad movie of 1995. Yeah. Okay. So I think uh, it's A minus as well. Cool. Because I can't stand to give anything an A. Right yeah, now. no. Very rare. I, mean, I want to say you could kind of... I actually want to give it a C minus, just you know, bring it down to about the level that I feel every day. I feel like the movie would be on board with that. Like, I'm no better than anyone else. We're all just part of this teeming, like, putrid mass of movies. Who cares? We're all fucking D-plus people. Alrighty, well, we rolled 20 minutes. You want to do understudy? Um, yeah, before we get to... Yeah, let's do understudy. We'll come back and talk about what it's all about. Alright, do you have a voice in mind? Oh, what happened? Yeah, I do. I hope I, I, I haven't done it before, but... If I have, me. Uh, yeah, I think I got one, too. All right, understudy. Let's see. I may get one monitor when I do this this way. Uh. We're so sorry we couldn't get the actors to do the scene from this screenplay, but we've got two understudies, and to be honest, they're probably more famous anyway, so... Try to catch the actors, try to guess the movies Tweet us at C-A-R-N-Y couch This game called Understudy Is happening, happening, happening right now I know this truck belongs to a fella named Moss Llewellyn Moss? That's the boy 
I don't know, Scully, you figure him for a dope runner? I don't know, darling. I kindly doubt it. Okay, Corral just yonder. Hell's bells, they'll even shot the dog. This is just a deal gone wrong, isn't it? Yup. Appears to have been a glitch or two. What calibers you got there, Sheriff? Nine millimeter. A couple of A5 ACFs. Somebody unloaded on that thing with a shotgun. Hey, Scully, how come, uh, those coyotes ain't been at them? I don't know. Supposedly a coyote won't eat a Mexican. Well, these boys appear to be managerial. I think we're looking at, uh, more than one fracas. I want to believe, but the execution here, Wild West over there. It's that Mexican brown dope. Oh, these boys is all swole up. So this was earlier. Getting set to trade. And whoa, differences. And might not even have been a no money. That's possible. But you don't believe it. No, probably I don't. It's a mess, Scully. Ain't it, Sheriff? If it ain't, it'll do till the mess gets here. That was undecided. Tweet us your answer at C-A-R-N-Y cow. So Brady chose that scene. Uh, it's a pretty, pretty good choice of a scene for, uh, you know, the whole uh, kind of what we're dealing with. Uh, on this what particular... are we dealing with? Man, I seen some shit today, this morning. Uh, you're gonna have to give me another cup of coffee if you want me to sit through this shit. Alright, so, um... Or a coffee enema, to uh, reference another Fincher. Shit, there was something, there was a scene I wanted to look up before I, um... Hmm? Coffee enema? Before... Anyone? No. You're good? You're good? Okay. I might have one more. There is a scene I wanted to look up before I, um, you know, fucking uh, launched into this. So why don't you talk so I can look at the shot before I oh, talk? Oh, well, do we want to do, we want to go to this segment? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, what's it all about? What's it all about there? So anyway, you talk about what it's about, and I wanted to. Okay, there, there are some themes, some motifs, some ideas to this thing. Um, if I have to put it into one thing, I think I'm going to go with that old axiom that hell is other people. I think this movie is about a kind of hell on earth. It's about sort of the, uh, the human squabble of being on earth and this idea that it, by being a part of the human race, you're kind of, uh, yeah, you're a part of this damned this doomed mass of sinners. It really is about just the human race as this very sinful thing. Uh, one of the things I noted is I wondered if uh, Stanley Kubrick wouldn't have kind of admired this movie. It's got a pitch black sensibility about, you know, kind of where it's positioned between like, is there any capacity for good in human beings or are we mostly just kind of terrible, doomed to kill each other, doomed to make horrible decisions and it kind of falls more on the line of, no, yeah, we're pretty messed up. We are a messed up race uh, that basically, if there's one thing you can count on us to do, you know, maybe sometimes we'll do the right thing, but you can count on us to do the wrong thing, right? So I think it's about that, and it's about these two characters, one with a more optimistic mind frame, 
and the other who's kind of realizes it, it comes down to that ending quote where you know is the world a fine place and worth defending well it's it's worth defending we're humanity as human beings this uh, for better and mostly worse is all that we have uh, so yes it is worth defending but humanity by and large is a disgusting thing which i don't even know if i agree with it but the movie defends it and presents it with such stylish aplomb uh and such interesting visual choices that uh, my hat's off to kind of you know and i love kubrick too and i am nowhere near as much of a fatalist pessimist miserablest as kubrick is but I think there are a lot of areas where human beings need to do better. And and until we do do better, we deserve movies like the Kubrick films. And we deserve movies like Seven that show that, yeah, we're we're kind of uh, prone to some awful behaviors. Uh, So, yeah, we can get more into it. But I think it's about uh, humanity being a a very black, disgusting thing. I... um... So, I mean, there's an interesting thing about, you know, even uh, as they get closer together and join forces against the John Doe, uh, but I think there's there's something in this movie that's very much about order versus disorder. I mean, the opening scene, which I was just watching over here while you were talking, uh, is, um, you know, Morgan Freeman in his very neat, tidy apartment with his chessboard that's, you know, ha- uh, been he's been playing against himself. And he's got his handkerchief, his badge, his knife, his pen, and his gun all laid out on the desk. And he kind of puts on his tie, then he puts each one in the proper place, and he, he goes through a very orderly thing. That is, that is contrasted um, after we have that scene. We meet David Mills, and, um, you know, when he's waking up in the morning, we have this cross-cutting scene where he's going through his research process. David Mills is just getting frustrated, and then uh, when... The next morning, David Mills wakes up and he's just kind of like pulling his wrinkled shirt out of the hamper and like, right. you know, in a in a half moved into sort of thing. And there's this idea of like kind of, um, you know, the jadedness of Somerset, uh, which is an interesting name in the first place. Somerset, you know, like the summers, uh, the, the sunset of his summer, you know, mm-hmm. he's entering the winter of his life um, or the fall, I guess the autumn. But um at any rate, uh, you know, this orderliness comes from, or this jadedness comes from his orderliness, from his having been through it so many times for his uh, ability. And the nice thing about it is that, uh, you know, um, the movie is very orderly with uh, regards to him, and it's very disorderly with regards to David Mills. I mean, in terms of... Um, the pieces, the uh, the clues, the laid out when when it has to do with him. Like for instance, he lays out all these things, and and then it calls back to each of these things in scenes. He's always got his handkerchief. He uses it to pick up evidence at crime scenes so that he's not tarnishing it. Uh, he's constantly using his knife uh, to move things around, to open things. You know, um, it is a there's a very orderly thing, which is like here are the objects that that uh, Detective Somerset has, and dip derp and blah blah and he uses them all and stuff like that goes i mean it even goes so far as to um there are several times where um the harm that may come to uh david mills's wife like i hadn't seen this movie but i knew something bad was going to happen to her because like every time she wants to talk to 
Detective Summer said, he's like, is everything okay? Are you okay? <laughs> and which made me immediately go like, ah, oh, man, there's going to be a point in time where she's not okay. Oh, she, she, I mean, I've seen this. I can't see it with fresh eyes, but the second I saw her, I'm like, she's so doomed. Yeah. And, and the movie, like. Well, as soon as they brought her into it. Right. I, I was just like, ooh, they gave her away too much. She's getting screwed by this killer in the And end. she's the one, like, little oasis of, like, warmth. And the only time they ever have a nice time yeah. is just having dinner with her. It's like, oh, that's, yeah. that's the one dry spot, and it's not staying dry. Yeah, I mean, you, you knew that the life was going to pervasively... I mean, there's kind of like a foreshadowing with the vibrating apartment. Like, even though they're trying to put this nice little house together, you know, she's pregnant at one point in time. It's still constantly shaking their apartment and shaking it loose from, you know, um, any peaceable, calm and quiet that you would like to be able to have. Right, yeah, I think the order thing, like, in that scene and in some others is interesting because... And this is a Fincherian thing, like, that develops. It's definitely present in, like, the social network. And it's this idea of all of society is kind of a little bit rotten. And, like, we do our best to kind of keep the rot at bay. But it's always kind of there. And the first time I thought of it was when we see Fincher's favorite color, green, in that library. And it's all the green reading lamps. And it's, like, even there... It's kind of supposed to be because Somerset sees the library as this bastion of knowledge and he's scolding the, you know, mocking the security guards because they're playing poker. He's like, look, you've got like the world's like store of knowledge and culture <laughs> right here at your fingertips. You're playing, you know, you're gambling for money. Uh, but I think the idea, the kind of visual motif of those lamps is that uh, one of the other themes of this movie, I think, uh, to tie into your thing about order, too, is intelligence order and culture and domesticity and like you say all these things that we use to kind of erect buildings around the bad shit they're never going to be perfect and they're never going to completely keep us safe from from the world's rot there's always this anonymous out known on there out there that's uh that's malevolent and because it because it is unknown because you i mean it's a known unknown you know that there's a John Doe, an anonymous character out there wreaking havoc, and you don't know which of these people that you see every day happens to possibly be him. Right. Um, and it's definitely done that way. Like, you know, there's the whole thing where, um, you know, the uh, they get the picture of him, and, and I was like, huh, how do they get that picture of him at the top of the stairs? And then they they call back to it later. Once again, Fincher's order, calling back and, and uh, making sense of the disorder. And saying, hey, uh, you know, it's so easy to pay uh, your lawmen to tell us when and where the the crime will be. And that person taking the picture, who like Brad Pitt was yelling at, like, fuck you, fuck you, dip derp, you know, that was that was John Doe. Right. Yeah. That's how he got that, that picture of him. You know, there's, <coughs> I don't know if they're still doing it, but there's a... Uh, a film blog I like, I think I've talked about this on podcast before, does a feature I like where it's called Hit Me With Your Best Shot. And basically, you, a bunch of like blogs get together, they do a film, they watch it, and they pick their favorite shot of the movie for whatever reason and, and write about it. Uh, and I want to say, kind of sticking with this like domesticity order thing, uh, you know, and, and like the bad stuff trying to close in on it, 
I think my favorite shot of this film is just the air fresheners. Yeah. Like, it's such a good visual representation of, like, trying to, like, like the stench of death, and you're just trying to mask it with these, like, little pine trees. Well, and it's also kind of just, like, fucking with you, where it's just like, in here, in here, look at all the, the little Christmas tree pine trees that are sweet-smelling around this. <laughs> <laughs> Fake ass pine scent and rotting flesh. Right. There's the world for you. And, oh yeah, and then there's the landlord's comment on that. And he says like, "I never heard any complaints about the uh, person in that thing, uh, and that person never complained about anything, and they always paid the rent. He was the best tenant I've <laughs> ever had. The best tenant you ever had was a near corpse man chained yeah. to a bed. Exactly, rotting away. I mean, if that's not a statement on, like, you know." why we should hang the landlords. Uh, <laughs> like, I don't know what is, right? Hang your landlord. Yes. Just stay in this apartment and rot and don't complain. Pretty much. So, uh, yeah, no, I think it's, it's very much about that. I had some other little things that I boxed here in my notes. Um, uh, oh, yeah. Well, it's interesting because you have these three different uh, people like uh, early on, he says like this can't be this guy, this kid's first. Like he's idealistic, the uh, David Mills, Brad right. Pitt's character. Uh, it's like this can't be his first thing. Like he he knew from the get go. I was like, this is bad, and it's gonna destroy you know the person who touches it. Like it can't be my last because I don't really want to go out on this note, <laughs> and it can't be his first because he's not ready for it. it it'll it'll r- ruin him, and it does. Right. Um, but anyway, so you have like, um, you know, the plight of Somerset is that the uh, norm is, you know, he uh, watches all the normal people succumb to apathy and then he becomes jaded. Uh, John Doe is the killer who's punishing the world for what he sees as sinful. Uh, you know, uh, no one uh, no one lives a life worth living, basically. Every, right. Every single person is guilty. And then Mills is the idealistic one. He thinks he can uh, heal the world if he removes all the John Doe's, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I also wrote Knife to Open the Box at the end. It was just another, <laughs> another note about him using that knife all the time to do stuff here and there. Right. But anyway, like, again, that's an order thing, right? Like, you have the, the person who's going to clean it all up, the person who's uh, as jaded as the apathetic people he despises that made him jaded, and then the person who's willing to act malevolently because he, you know, it's not even that people are apathetic. It's just that all people are bad. Yeah. And David Mills thinks people are good except for the bad ones. Right. And and uh, Somerset thinks that, you know, everybody's just neutral and that's just as bad as. Oh, I see. So we're talking. So really. Mills's counterpoint is the Kevin Spacey character, I guess. Right. Where it's like, no, this is like, everything's fucked. And for Freeman, it's like, nah, it's just, it's just the rot. It's just all the rot. Yeah. It's just, it's, doesn't mean that like everything's terrible, but it's pretty terrible just for how corrupted it is. Well, I mean, like, you know, even though he says everybody's guilty and they all deserve, you know, what they got for their seven deadly sins. The whole thing is, is that um, he really wants to destroy Mills, right? Like desperately. Oh, yeah. He's you know? the he's the Harvey Dent. Yeah, 
and I mean, bring and, down and, the uh, and it seems like he's just on it about destroying mills from the get go. Like you know, he he puts this case out there and he goes, okay, who's going to get it? And you know what? If Mills hadn't been around, he probably would have attempted to destroy Somerset instead. <laughs> He'd right. be like, uh, Sonny, I'm pretty destroyed already. <laughs> uh, so, yes. Um, I got... Uh, oh, man. And just because I'm not going to revisit this because I've already talked about this theme, but a moment I really like that uh, kind of reinforces this we're all part of the same filthy squabbling mass thing is just that cop yelling in the sloth victim's face when he just yells like you deserve this and what he gets for that is a (coughs) just like a cough of blood in the face it's like no you're part of this too right and fuck you for thinking that you aren't also a a kind of a bad person for sure man like if i deserve this everyone deserves this and by this i mean each other all right, well, we're about at the 40-minute mark. I think we get to Metacritical, come back with some final points, and talk about next week. Yeah. Okay, let's do Metacritical. Um, think of a, a movie to start with while I play the theme song. Okay. Metacritical. Rob's never gonna win. Metacritical. Brady's the victor again. Woo-hoo. So it's time to play. I'm gonna lose today Metacritical, yeah, it's time Time to play Hey everybody, welcome to Metacritical, the game where we try to guess the Metacritic scores of movies and then try to get as close as we can, uh, take the absolute value of how far we are away, total them up after we do five movies until you guess the lowest score. It's kind of like golf, except it doesn't require wearing... Plaid, even though I do often wear plaid. <laughs> with, and, a, uh, with a pitch that punchy, it's a wonder <laughs> network television hasn't picked us up. Yeah, the fabulous game where you'd look at scores of critics that have been aggregated into an internet site and try to get as close <laughs> as you possibly can. And nobody wears plaid. <laughs> Not even dead men. <laughs> okay, so I think I've thought of something, a starting movie that ties in, sort of. Uh, so I've gone with a, a recent procedural that also, you know, has kind of a a dank atmosphere to it a little bit. And that is, oh, I don't remember the year. I think it's 2014 or something. Anyway, uh, Prisoners, Denis Villeneuve's uh, Prisoners. He's the director who did Arrival and last year's Blade Runner 2049. Check out my review on the site. And it stars Jake Gyllenhaal and Hugh Jackman. Oh, you yeah. see this what one? Site? What's our site again? carnivorousstudios.com Ah, uh, yes. You can also go to Carnivorous Couch. It'll redirect you. I yeah. think, if that still works. I don't... You know, I'm paying for it, so I hope so. We should just buy all the Carnivorous Furniture domain names. Like <laughs> Carnivorous Ottoman. Ottoman. Don't, <laughs> don't get beat. At the same time. Don't let someone else buy that up. Carnivorous uh, Piano Bench. <laughs> <laughs> Carnivorous um, Lazy Boy. So, All right, yeah. well, hopefully Maddie won't barge in on us. I think I hear the garage door closing, and she's going to put her bike up there and then kind of go in and go like, oh, 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 Rob, why aren't you sleeping? Um, well, and when she comes in, you have to put your hands up and <laughs> act like, it's, it's nothing, it's nothing. Oh, no, it wasn't. <laughs> it's just Metacritical, the fabulous game where you try to get aggregated scores and don't wear plaid. <laughs> okay, um, 
Prisoners. So, prisoners, all right. I haven't seen this, so I'm not going to have a very good time guessing, but uh, it's the same thing as the bloop do and a da ba da So uh, I'm going to go with a good 72. I think that's a pretty good guess. I'm going to go slightly lower because I don't think it's higher, um, even though I, th- I think it's a good movie. Uh, 68 for me. And are you going to aggregate the scores like, like you normally yeah. do? Okay, cool. You were close. It's uh, 2013, not 2014. And um, the actual score was 74. So I was off by Ooh. two. What was your guess? 68. I was 68. off by six. Cool. Other direction. You guessed a little further away in the other direction. So you lose these some stuff. These because you go in the wrong direction. I just had a pen. I don't it's know okay. where I put I got, it. I got a desk here. It's got lots of pens in it. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So you're gonna take those down. Um, you know, I don't know if it'll be in Metacritic, but I, I'm gonna go ahead and say Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid because of our introduction and our our reiterated, repeated joke. What what movie is this? Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Steve Martin. It's like an '80s uh, '80s film noir uh, spoof. Okay. Yeah. D- have you seen it? Yeah, many many times when I was a kid, it was always on like. TCM or TNT okay. or, you know, something. But, unfortunately, um, it's nothing. It's Maddie. It's we did it. It's nothing. Oh. <laughs> oh, my. Where are my pants? So, right. We already predicted that you'd possibly be opening the door, and we had a, uh, a reaction planned. Yeah, well... There was a lot of trouble getting this all started, so, you know. It's Maddie and a Just team of step. tiny sled dogs. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Um, okay. okay, so dead man don't wear plaid. Yeah. But it might not be in here though because it's kind of older than Metacritic. Okay, I'm gonna go uh, 61. Ah, uh, darn you! That makes it tricky. Uh, I'm gonna go low then. I'll go for like 45. Okay. Yeah, it's not in there. <laughs> Either that or I spelled plaid wrong. Um, P L A I D. Yeah, I spelled it right. Okay. Spelled it P L. Eight. Well, it's still to you. Pick, pick oh, something. Oh, oh, okay. Let's go with Memento. Okay. Which we might have done. No, we haven't. Once, but oh, if, as a thing. But maybe. If, but if uh, we had, it was a year ago. <laughs> so I don't yes. remember. Um, alrighty. Um. Yeah. Do I have to guess first? Mm, yeah, I think yeah, yeah, I do. All right, I'm gonna go like uh, I'm sure Memento. Oh like wait, it. wait, wait. Because didn't you guess first on the last one? Uh, I don't care. Just pick one. Okay, <laughs> uh, I'll go seventy nine. Yeah, the network what doesn't also doesn't like this game because the rules are pretty loosey goosey. I'm gonna go at the eighty eight. Okay. All right. That's, I think it deserves an eighty eight. Right? This is from two thousand one. 80. Okay. Oh, it puts Brady off one and me off eight. Wait, Brady was off by six and I was off by two, so I'm off by ten and Brady's off by seven. Very good. Yeah. Very yeah. good. Yeah. Okay, so now it's my turn. It's me turn. Uh, I found it. Um, yeah. Okay. It's, it's you turn. You, you turn. turn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we tried to do that once. It didn't come up. Okay, let's see. In Memento, we have 
we have um, Guy Pierce. Oh yes, we do. We do have Guy Pierce. I mean, I was just kind of sticking with the film noir. Oh, I see. Thing. Okay, well, let's see if I can think of another noir. Well, I mean, that... we could do it. Man, he wasn't there, but that might not be in there. How about we go <laughs> with <coughs> what other movies has Joe Pantoliano been in lately? Oh, let's go with that great noir. I am thinking of Racing Stripes. Racing Stripes. About a zebra who races. Horses. Horses. Okay. Uh, Racing Stripes. I haven't heard of it. I don't know anything about it. It's It's bad. It's a CGI film about a racing zebra. All right. 27. 27, okay. It's always sad when animated films are bad because they take a lot of time and effort to make, and you're just like, well, you wasted your time. Okay, I'm going to go 32. <laughs> All right. I mean, films in general take a lot of time and effort to make, but animated ones especially. What did I say, 27? Mm. Yes. Racing Stripes. Racing Stripes. Ted Koppel. <laughs> 43. Okay. Damn it, that puts you ahead of me by five more. Because you did like 32, and I did 27, and it was higher than both of ours. Yeah, I get I get five points on that. <sighs> I don't know why I said Ted Koppel in the uh, Saturday Night Live and, and announcer's voice. I guess because I remember an SNL from 1994 <laughs> that had uh, somebody playing Ted Koppel in it. Ted Koppel. Yeah. Sound about right. Frankie Muniz. Okay, I'm going to say the man who wasn't there. Mm-hmm. It's possible that that film will not be there. Uh, I think it will be there. But I think it will be. I think anything Coen Brothers will be. Yeah, especially no old. from 2002. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think that this is... I really like this movie. Uh, I don't think the... Well, I don't know. It's tough. Do you want to guess first? Sure. I'm going to go 75. I think it's going to be higher than that, but not by much. Uh, what did I say? 82? 73. Okay. God damn it, that puts you ahead of me two more. So Brady's ahead of me by like 13 or something. Uh, 20. It's a pretty close game, though. Pretty close. Girl. And, you know, scores have been tight. Uh, so this is our fifth and final one? Yeah. Alrighty. Okay, uh... Let's see, man who wasn't there, the late James Gandolfini. Let's go with Enough Said? Mm, no, let's go with uh, In the Loop. Okay. Even though that doesn't have anything to do with <laughs> film noir. <laughs> enough Said probably, ha- Enough Said has much less to do with film noir. All right, go for it. What would, uh, well, it's not, I'll go first. You've got, gotten first, bunch of, yeah. Um, <laughs> 78. I'll go 82. You might happen to know the exact score, might you? I don't know. I do love In the Loop. Uh, yeah, then that is, I believe, podcast number like six or seven yeah. on the feed. Yeah, we did that. Uh, In the Loop, 84. Okay. What did I guess? 75, right? I think I might have said 78. Okay. Yeah, 78. Did I? No, I didn't. What'd you say? I said 82. I said, I think I said 72. 
I don't know. I, I, it's, it's far enough in the wrong direction that I lose. Why don't you total this up while I play a little fuck you? It's got to be right here. A Metacritical. I won again. And I did. By, fuck you. by 19 points. Of course you did. You always win. Oh man, I pitched down your volume a little bit a while ago, and oh no, it looks like both of us just went down a little ways. Yeah, hopefully you out there in the void that we're howling into can hear us. If you can't, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. Um. All right. Cool. Well. Uh. Final thoughts, eh? Uh, yeah. Final thoughts. Uh, final thoughts. I would like to uh, kind of. What interested me was. This is such a, I think, a companion piece to a film like No Country for Old Men. Um, So I started thinking about, well, okay, like both of those films are about kind of having seen enough of humans, humanity's misery that it like shakes you and like makes it harder to do your job. In both cases, we have police officers or members of law enforcement who have a moment of uh, just like, uh, I can't do this anymore. Like any kind of optimism I had about the ability for someone in this line of work to do good in the world has been compromised. Uh, But what I find interesting, I find two things interesting. One is that in No Country for Old Men, you get the Tommy Lee Jones character kind of getting this like elemental glimpse of a horror, like too massive to comprehend. Like, and that's kind of about external evil pressing in on the world. Like, a sinister force that you can't even quite comprehend it. Uh, And what I find interesting in this is that it's more blasé about that. So that the external force, like the big bad at the door is really just all of us. Like it's all of our collective decision-making that is like the great evil. And so we're one character. I feel like the Ed Tom character in no country for old men ends up like haunted. I think, Morgan Freeman's character is kind of the opposite in a way, which is interesting because it's similar journeys where it's like, yeah, whatever. Like, that's it. This, this is just it. Everything's just, just oozing pus. Like the the human beings are an oozing pus on the face of the earth. And instead of being scared and walking away, I'm just going to do this, I guess every day, because the best thing I can do to combat that apathy that I'm so afraid of is just hang out and like accept that I can't do very much and that'll just have to be enough. Yeah. Well, I think that that's, that's very, it's very thoughtful of you, Brady. I just want to talk about the way it was shot. Sure. Uh, yeah. And we should, because yeah. uh, like this really is a stylistic Marvel. Well, I mean, uh, the coolest thing about the way it was shot was like, how crisp uh everything is like um you know the subject is typically almost always in the foreground and they use like a really tight depth of field to the point where like at one point somebody's being interrogated and they lean forward three inches and they blur a little because like you know the focal length was just determined to be like no if you move forward or back a couple inches uh we're gonna lose you know you're gonna go right out of the 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 area that will be in focus. <laughs> Do you know who did the cinematography? Uh, it was a, a the, was it Cronin with. They had a director of photography for this, and I did see his name at the beginning. I didn't recognize him as a. Uh, was he a Jeff? Uh, no, no, it wasn't Cronin with. It was like Devin. 
<laughs> Devin never made it far. <laughs> Devin the intern. <laughs> I don't know why David Fincher trusted it to Devin. <laughs> I wouldn't trust Devin with a coffee order. Yeah. No, but I mean, uh, that was interesting. Again, like I said, the lighting was all very um, directional and one-sided, uh, which, you know, not so much for Brad Pitt, who was pretty boy, but for Morgan Freeman's pocky face <laughs> cast a lot of shadows. And um, uh, you see, um, yeah, just in general, uh, the way it was put together and shot, you know, the close-up shot, close shots uh, combined with the wide shots created a real good sense of isolation. Um, uh, you know, and it kind of played with the the film noir thing. There was a lot of rain. There was a lot of reflection. But there wasn't any, you know, uh, Vaseline on the lens, like, you know, glossy stuff, which they often do with the ladies and stuff like that. Or, you know, little dream sequences to, to shake out the reality. It was all it's all just very, like, hyper-real, but hyper-fragmented in its realness um, in the way that it was stylistically put together with the reflections and the lighting and the... Uh, the kind of sharp, sharp focus. Mm -hmm. And I like the kind of trick. I know there are other movies that have done this, but where you, uh, in fact, I think I wrote about sort of a similar feeling, even though nothing visually alike. But uh, when I wrote my review for Personal Shopper, it's this idea of like, well, you've got like a kind of Also sense, on the website. Like, uh, yeah, uh, please read and go watch Kristen Stewart look sad. She does a really good job of it, though. I know that's a common insult of her acting, but she does it well. Um, but what a long face. Kind of well, the, I'm Kristen Stewart. <laughs> as she tousles her hair and bites her lip. Because <laughs> I'm sad. And my face is just really long. Uh, uh, uh. Those, are, those are Kristen Stewart sounds. I'm going to get sued. Um, but no, this idea of like, you kind of have a, a vibe of shivery chillness, or in this case, it's like shivery and covered in shit. Um, shittery. Uh, yeah, it's like, and, but toward the end, we end up on this highway out in the middle of I-5, and it's not dark. We're away from the shadows. You know, we're away from the green hues and, like, the murkiness. And I like the trick of, like, yeah, guess what? That doesn't help. Like, the color scheme was a good reminder, a good motif visually, but just because you're out in the sunlight in a blowing field of wheat, still the same, like, dank miserabilism finds you, even when you go somewhere sunny and, you know, not uh, grimy. Which I find interesting. Yes. I mean, I've said about as much as I have the energy to say... Because, you know, this deep world presses down on us, and apparently so do the fictional one that we watched today. Mm, there's just not much else I low country bunking can do. No, I'm not shaking. I'm just, I did. Just getting the movie to work and then, like, being able to record was, it took it out of me, man. This has been almost a full day of work. Uh, these podcasts aren't easy, people. Listen to all the ones that we've done. This is number, what, 69? Uh, yeah. Yeah. 69 podcasts over the course of uh, five years. Um, I think you guys um, owe us a little bit of uh, listening. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Money would be nice, too. Uh, yeah, we don't have any infrastructure set yet. 
but uh, maybe at some point I'll, I'll figure that out. Um, we hope to do these more often. Uh, next week, we're actually going to do our top 10 of the year. Yes. Um, and then the week after that, we need to pick a movie to do. Yeah, uh, and I have an idea already. And if you have an idea, dear listener, uh, you can go on our website and um, suggest one. Just click on the Suggest a Film link at the top and the uh, little menu bar, and uh, you can suggest a film, and, you know, we'll do it. Also, if you happen to guess the uh, the um, understudy who we were uh, portraying or what scene it was from, uh, as the theme song often suggests, go ahead and tweet us that. Um, and if you win, we'll do a film of your choosing again. You can burn us with that, or you can give us something good to do that you'd like to hear our thoughts on. Um, what is your thought for what we should do, not next week, but the week after next? We get to plug it twice if we do it this way. Oh, yeah, true. Uh, well, I'm going to suggest by proxy, uh, because my good friend Christopher from law school, he has an idea and he wants to podcast with us via Skype. And uh, what he wants to do is Legally Blonde from uh, Reese Witherspoon's oh, Comedy Days. Reese Witherspoon back when when I had more of a crush on her. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, from, from those days. From, from the Tracy Flick days. Yes. That, uh, but, yeah. Or from the uh, Overnight Delivery days. Hmm. I never saw that. Yeah, it's a bad movie. I really <laughs> like it. <laughs> you know, it's a manic pixie dream girl sort of thing. Guy meets manic pixie dream girl, breaks up with girlfriend. She's just supposed to be a friend, but at the end they realize they really like each other. And then he runs in the rain or something and goes, uh, Hey, sorry, I was wrong. I shouldn't have been trying to get back together with my girlfriend. I should have just been with you. And she goes, why did you run away from me? And he goes, I don't know, I was scared. And she goes, like, me too. And then, theoretically, they live happily ever after. But we know in real life that, actually, they just break up a couple years later after having a tumultuous relationship. Because that's what 20-somethings do. Um, anyway. <laughs> well, so you were suggesting Legally Blonde? Okay, I'm going to suggest... Um, I did have a thought, like, maybe four or five months ago of what we should do next... It was four or five months ago, so it's hard to remember. Um, shit, that's too bad because it was a good suggestion. Um, hmm, hmm, hmm. And that sounds good. It sounds real good. <laughs> yeah, I just can't remember what it was. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'll suggest the wizard <laughs> from childhood. Alrighty. Uh, why don't you? Pick up one more, and I'll try to remember the hmm hmm one that I was going to remember. Uh, well, one more. Give another precedent vote to playtime. Uh, okay, and I want to say Annihilation, which I saw, and it's really good, and it's really recent, and I think a lot of people should see it. So it might behoove us to talk about something that's it that could recent. Behoove us. Yes. Uh, okay, you want to do a one, two, three, shoot thing? Uh, sure. Yeah. Okay, we're just gonna. This is what we normally do if you've never listened to the podcast before. We do something that has some sort of convoluted set of rules that neither of us really know, and then I eventually decide for us. And I 
don't think I often win these. <laughs> <laughs> so wish me luck. Okay, so um, so we'll one, two, three, shoot. We'll call even or odds, uh, and then uh, then we'll whittle them down. This is like the final four. Oh, each movie's getting <laughs> no, no, no just okay. One, two, three. Sh- wait, wait, wait. Even or it, odd? Um, even or odd? Uh, odd. Okay. Uh, ready? One, two, three. Shoot. It's even. So Gah. I win. That means that we're gonna do one of the two I suggested. Okay. Or wait. Wait. Should I give you another chance? Should I, should I put up one? Yeah, but what is yeah, what? Why did I win? What effect does my losing have? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I have to. No, just... okay. You have to get rid of one. Okay, playtime. Okay, Bye. you're getting rid of playtime. All right, even or odd? Uh, even. Okay, one, two, three, shoot. All right, even. So I have to get rid of one now. I guess I'll get rid of the wizard. Oh, my breasts. <laughs> uh, did you know that? Isn't that uh, what's her name? Yeah, because I she our. Our recent uh, child performances, you shouted out Jenny Lewis. Oh, yeah, it is Jenny Lewis, and she's a big-time musician now. Yeah, no, she is. Kind of has a Joni feel to her. One-time child actor. All right. Uh, I mean, I guess... Evens. No one stays a child actor for long. I'm going to call Evens. Okay, Evens? Yeah. Okay, ready? Right, one, two, three, shoot. All right, we got Evens. So I guess uh, we're doing <laughs> Annihilation. Yes. Sorry, Christopher Buechler. We're going to get Legally Blonde in there soon. Uh, I I will fight. As your attorney, I will fight for Legally Blonde. Yeah, if you remind me, I'll just go ahead and do it like the next time because it'd be nice to have a listener. True. Um, oh, man. But here's the thing. You, you have to ha- tell him. You have to not tell him what happened, but tell him to listen to this one when we post it and that he'll find out if we're doing it. Okay. And then he'll find out we're okay. not. <laughs> no, I have to listen to the next one. Uh, so I, I think that uh, do we have more derps to talk about? Do you want to plug your your blog project or? Oh, uh, well, they they sent us a, uh, a an audio sample, so we'll edit it in. Oh yeah, no, we do want to uh, cross promote. Well, I mean, like. Well, yeah, we can introduce. We um, we don't have to introduce. I mean, I can just be like, uh, "There's a word from our sponsors," and throw it in there. Well, they're not our sponsor. They're they're a they're sister. A they're a sister podcast. They're yeah. our big sisters, little sisters. Yeah, but they're brothers. They're our soul sisters. They're I mean, a sister they're not act. Black, but you know. and uh, they <laughs> they do a uh, podcast about wizarding. They're very funny, talented guys, uh, right. and it's it's called. Uh, oh my God! Let's just be wizards. Let's just be wizards. Thank you. Yes. And the first one was entertaining. It was on Ouija boards. Anyway, um... And here's the drop. Hey, f***, do you believe in magic? No, I'm not talking about Chris Angel, you f***. I'm talking about the left-hand path. Crowley, Merlin, necromancy, circles of protection. All that f- magical Well, even if you don't, be sure and check out Let's Just Be Wizards, a weekly podcast about three and four friends learning to be real-life wizards. Live, laugh, and learn with us as we f*** spells and lose our damn minds, messing with power we can barely comprehend. That's Let's Just Be Wizards on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, and all that other fine shit. Let's just be wizards. Oh, yes. 
So, okay. Uh, check those guys out. Yeah, indeed. Uh, furthermore, uh, what's the name of that guy? Which guy? Uh, the guy who requested Legally Blonde. Oh, Christopher Buechler Marin. Theme song. Carnivorous couch Shit happens once a week It swallows us for two hours When we try to sleep It forces us to watch a film About which we then speak Carnivorous couch With Brady and Rob The best tenant you ever had Was a near corpse man Chained to a bed